Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. And tonight we are starting a brand new series and it's called Breathe. And uh, Breathe is all about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, present and active in our daily lives. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is literally God present on the earth right now? Michael stole my scripture or something similar to it. In John 14, 26, Jesus promises, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He is God present on the earth right now. And the Holy Spirit is working in and through us so that we can encounter both God the Father and Jesus the Son. Now, in anticipation for the series, which goes on for a couple of weeks, in talking about the Holy Spirit, I asked my Connect Group members this week in our Connect Group if they could share their stories of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if they could give an example of something that changed in their lives as a result of that experience. So I thought I would share my story with you because it was so inspirational to me listening to all the young men in my group tell me about how the Holy Spirit really impacted their lives. So I grew up Baptist. Are there any uh, previous Baptists in the room tonight? I'm the, oh, yay, yay, I'm in good company. Uh, at, 10 at 12 o'clock, there were none. <laughs> now, Baptists love the Word of God. They really have a deep respect and honor for the Word of God, and that's a good thing, isn't it? And they taught me that love for the study of the Word of God, and I'm so grateful for that today. And... Um, Baptists are also really big on the Trinity. That's also a good thing, okay? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, they're very big on lordship. That's really a good thing, and we should all do that. What they're not so big on is the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so um, I grew up in that church. I loved it. It was great. I got born again in that church. I was baptized in water in that church and just on my journey with God. And um, our pastor, when I was about 16, obviously went somewhere and had a great experience of the Holy Spirit. And being a very discerning, astute man, he knew he couldn't just come back to church and just start praying in tongues and falling on the floor and doing stuff crazy charismatics do. So, um, so he, he prayed, and he, he realized that the best way to sort of introduce this new idea to the church was to do a series on the Trinity. Like I said, we were big on the Trinity. And so he did a three-part series, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it was beautiful. It was amazing. It was great theology, really, really well done. And then the one Sunday night when he did the Holy Spirit, we all went along to church, and we had no idea what was about to happen. Like I say, I was about 16 years old. I was, I was in grade 10, that's standard eight back in my language. And um, we arrived at church and he preached on the person of the Holy Spirit and it was just beautiful. And, and already while he was preaching, the Spirit was moving and people were being convicted. And he very gently said, you know, if you want to just um, deepen your relationship with the Holy Spirit, why don't you come up? We're going to pray for you and maybe you'll even experience him. <laughs> so we started going up. <laughs> 
And the next thing, the Holy Spirit was just poured out in the most powerful, amazing way. And I don't think we really understood what was happening, but we all knew something was happening. And around me, people spontaneously were just praying in tongues. We'd never heard about that. We weren't sure what they were doing, but we knew it was God. My first manifestation of the Holy Spirit was weeping. And I wept for three hours that night. All the, all, you know, every Baptist church has a, has a quorum of aunties, you know, tannies. And I got passed around from tanny to tanny because I was sobbing so hard and they would give me tissues and pat me on the back for three solid hours. And later I realized that in that moment, God was just healing my heart of all the trauma, all the abuse, all the nightmare of my life, all the shame of my life. He was literally just healing my heart and I was just weeping it out. And... Um, I did not pray in tongues that night, um, but the next morning I woke up, and um, back in, in, in 1988, when I was in, in Saturday 8 in grade 10, we had this thing called um, felt school. Has anybody ever heard of felt school? Be very grateful you have never heard of felt school. Um, so what it, what it entailed is we were going to get on a bus that Monday morning, um, three schools combined, boys and girls in, in the grade, and we were going to go, we were, all the boys were going off to Pilgrim's Rest, and basically we were going to learn how to do bush warfare and survive by ourselves with, with crazy ex-soldiers who were a little cuckoo in the head from being shell-shocked. Um, and, and I was not looking forward to it. But I remember the first thing I did when I woke up, I was just next to my bed, just crying out to God. And that's that same sense of the Holy Spirit was on me. Now, I was really timid as a teenager, really scared, very self-aware, um, uh, very uh, scared, just very timid and not, a, not an exciting person to know at all. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. But when I got on the bus, some of my friends said, so how was your weekend? And I just started telling them what happened at church. For seven hours, I spoke about Jesus on the bus ride from Pannoni to Pauldrum's Rest. And people were coming and asking me questions. I just spoke about Jesus. And the whole six days we were there, by the end of that camp, I think every boy on that camp had come to my dorm for prayer. <laughs> and we forget that one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit is a boldness to evangelize is a boldness in preaching the word. In fact, when the disciples came out of the upper room in Acts 2, they had that wonderful encounter with the rushing wind and tongues of fire on their head, and they spoke in these foreign languages. And the very next thing we see is Peter preaching a sermon to 3,000 people. He had never done that before. There is no record of Peter doing any public speaking, no record of him manifesting evangelism in any way, shape, or form before that. Obviously, he'd been trained by Jesus and he'd been taught by Jesus, but when the Holy Spirit came on him, the boldness to evangelize was there, and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. So that's quite, a, quite an amazing thing. So what I want, oh, and this is about tongues. So it took me about nine months before I received the full, fullness of tongues, if I can say that. And part of that reason was just in my upbringing, I had developed some very weird theology around tongues, and I thought it was demonic. And so I kind of pushed it away and just wouldn't, wouldn't do it. And so when I really started seeking it, the Lord also, again, had to heal some stuff in my heart and deal with me. And so I got prayed for about like 100 times to receive tongues. And then one night, spontaneously in my room while I was doing a devotion, it just started pouring out of me. <laughs> so I want to encourage you. As we go through the series, we are really trusting for the Lord to just refresh us, refill us, 
reinvigorate us, fall in love again with the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet, we're going to teach on that, and we're going to invite you to come and receive that. If you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and maybe you don't, don't pray in your prayer language yet, we're going to invite you to come down. And even if you've been prayed for a hundred times, we're going to pray for you another hundred times. You will get it. It will come. Amen. And also encourage you to share your stories of baptism in the Holy Spirit in your connect groups like we did. It was really fun. So tonight in Breathe, the first thing we're talking about is Holy Spirit, the Creator, okay? And so in the Nicene Creed, the Nicene Creed is just um, a statement of Christian faith of exactly what we believe about the Trinity. And in speaking of the Holy Spirit, it says this, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and Son is worshiped and glorified. The Holy Spirit is not some power entity. He's not some disturbance in the atmosphere. He is the third person of God, of the Godhead rather, a manifestation of God. He is God. And because he's God, we can worship him. We can glorify him just like we do the Father and the Son. We can pray to him and we can develop a relationship with him. And we need to because he is so Vital, But the phrase we're going to focus on in that little section from the Nicene Creed is the giver of life. The Holy Spirit is the giver of life. And when you think back to the creation of the universe, to the creation of the world, to the creation of Adam, we see the Holy Spirit bringing forth life in creation, giving life to this planet. But what we also see later on is when God restores everything through Jesus Christ, we see the Holy Spirit giving life there as well, restoring life once again. And both in the creation and the recreation, we see the Holy Spirit doing three things. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The first one is hovering. Genesis 1 verse 1 to 3 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, when you hear the English word hover, (laughs) it sort of gives the impression of this sort of like nervous, like, movement somewhere, you know, maybe you're trying to break into a conversation and they're not letting you. Um, maybe you're the last rowdy table at the restaurant and your waiter's hovering on the side to get this bill and chuck you out, you know. So we sort of think of hovering like that. But the Hebrew word for hovering literally means to brood, to move, to shake. Now when I say the word brood, what image comes to mind? A mother, a, a, a chicken, a mother chicken, a hen, sitting on her eggs. We, that's a brooding hen. We call her a brooding hen. Um, and you might think when you look at a brooding hen that she's just wasting time. She's just sitting there going, oh, my word, how long is this going to take, you know? But that is not at all what she is doing. What she is actually doing is that she's sitting on her eggs to keep them warm so that they can incubate. She's protecting them so that later on she can hatch healthy, strong chicks. 
This is, this is not a passive thing. She is very intentional about what she is doing. And exact, in exactly the same way, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's brooding, he's moving, he's shaking over this formless void um, that is just liquid and has no structure and no form. And what he is doing, because he is God, he is preparing an atmosphere in which when he begins to speak, the entire universe will manifest. And so the world was without form and void. It was chaotic. It was chaos. There was no order and there was no structure. And this is what the Holy Spirit was hovering over. But thousands of years later, mankind has fallen so far away from God. Even the people of God, Israel, have have fallen away from God. They have taken faith and replaced it with religion, with structure, and with form. And what we see once again is a world filled with darkness, filled with chaos, void, formless, as far as spiritual reality went. But in that, in that time, we watch how the Holy Spirit begins to hover again. Let's see how well you know your Christmas story. Luke 1.35 says, And the angel answered her, this is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the angel is speaking to her. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, the Greek word translated overshadow literally means to envelop in a haze of brilliancy, in a haze of glory. It means to be invested with supernatural influence. And can you see, this is the Holy Spirit hovering once again over the recreation of God's order and plan for creation through Jesus Christ. This is the Holy Spirit hovering over a human being, a fallen, broken human being to create an atmosphere that will bring forth life, that will bring forth life beyond just what we understand, but full and content spiritual life. Now, Genesis 1 verse 2, we're going to look at it again. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Without form and void. And we have two rather funny, rhyming Hebrew words that describe this. Tohu and bohu. And so tohu is a waste, a desolate wilderness, a worthless thing. And bohu, which means void, is to be empty, to be vacuous, an undistinguishable rune, an undistinguishable rune. Even though it existed before, we have no concept of what it might have been when we look at it now. An undistinguishable rune. So tohu and bohu, nothingness, uselessness, worthlessness. But this is what the Holy Spirit begins to hover over, this meaninglessness, this uselessness. He begins to be intentional about it. And he, what does he bring forth? He brings forth purpose and beauty and life and clarity and structure. So I don't know about you, and maybe we can raise our hands, but has anybody here ever felt like their life was a bit tohu bohu? Anybody been a bit tohu bohu? Okay, yeah. We're in good company. <laughs> Sometimes we feel a bit tohu bohu. There are some formless, void, chaotic spaces in our life. Maybe there are broken, hurting spaces in our souls. 
But guess what? The hovering Holy Spirit is right here tonight to hover over your tohu bohu, to bring complete and utter restoration. It doesn't matter how those spaces were created. It doesn't matter where those spaces came from. Can we be honest and say sometimes we make bad mistakes? Sometimes we just make bad choices. Sometimes we just sin. Sometimes there's devastation in our souls because other people make bad choices and other people sin. Sometimes just the circumstances of our lives that we cannot control create desolation and chaos inside us. The Holy Spirit doesn't care how it got there. All he knows is that when he hovers over your tohu bohu, he's going to bring order. He's going to bring light and life and beauty and clarity back to you. This is exactly the thing that God in the form of the Holy Spirit is expert at. He doesn't care how dark or stained or dirty any part of our souls is. In fact, the Bible says that he is the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it goes further to say that that very resurrection power is living inside me and you right now. There is resurrection power for all of us. And I want to say to you, do not believe the lie that shame has told you. Not for one minute longer. Don't believe the lie that says you are dirty and unlovely and that you have to hide and not be seen because God won't look at you. Do you know that God knows every single thing about you? The psalmist writes and he says, before I utter a word, you know what it is. God knows everything every, everything about you and me, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stuff we wish had never happened, the stuff we'll never even admit to ourselves. He already knows it. Now, the good news about that is, let's say it's sin. When you sinned, when you did that, God saw it. He knew it was happening. Did lightning come out of the sky and strike you? Apparently not, because you're sitting here tonight listening to me. So why do we think that when we go to him and open that space to him, that's what's going to happen? Nothing about you is shocking to God. Not anything about any of us is even surprising to him. We cannot surprise God. He knows everything. And so we've got to put to death the lie of shame that says we are not good enough and we don't have what it takes. God knows everything. And I want to encourage you that as you are sitting here tonight and through the rest of the series, as you begin to sense the hovering of the Holy Spirit over your life, open it to him. Open it to him. Just say, yes, Lord. Just say, I don't want to be chaotic anymore. I don't want tohu bohu in my life anymore. Not only does it sound ridiculous, but it's horrible to live with. And he will recreate you. He will reform you. Now, not only does God recreate us when he brings life, when the Holy Spirit breathes life, not only does he recreate us, but he recreates something else that is really beautiful in the New Testament. And this is actually part of Peter's sermon that I spoke about earlier in Acts 2 verse 17. Peter says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. What is God restoring here? 
He's restoring partnership with him. Right in the beginning, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. You know, how did God create the universe? He spoke. So everything had a name, didn't it? If he spoke it into existence, he called it something. It had a name. But there's this wonderful moment where after he's created Adam, he says to Adam, go and name the animals. Why? God had a name for every animal. He spoke it into being. Because he wants Adam to partner with him in the creation. And Adam's names were not nearly as good as God's. Hippopotamus and giraffe. I mean, seriously. Like, I know they came later, but you get what I'm saying. (laughs) Do you see what God did? He invited mankind into partnership. And Adam responded by going off and being obedient and diligently naming all those animals. And God loved it. And so here in the recreation, in the new creation, God is inviting us again to partner with him. How does that happen? By him pouring the Holy Spirit out upon us. You know what? Prophecy cannot happen without God. If God is not speaking, there's no prophecy. But the thing we never think about is if I'm not hearing and I'm not speaking, there's also no prophecy. Think about that for a minute. God could have come and just written on the wall. Every time we have a prophetic night, I mean, that would be quite dramatic and amazing. A finger would appear and write on the wall. The problem is it would be rather impersonal. But God has chosen, just like he did with Mary. Jesus could have just manifested like that, but then he wouldn't be human. And so God is restoring this beautiful partnership between him and man, and the Holy Spirit is the connection. Because the Holy Spirit is not just God present on the earth, he's God present inside of me. And that's why we want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's why we want to go after the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Because that is mankind partnering with God and him manifesting his kingdom on the earth. And so Peter is quoting the prophet Joel when he, in this scripture. And it says there that in the last days it shall be. Well, that's when the last days started, the second the Holy Spirit was poured out. That's 2,000 years ago. They might go on for the next 30,000 years. We have no idea. But the issue is, is that we are standing in the last days. And we are the generation who are carrying that out. We are the generation he's he's entrusted his kingdom to. And the Holy Spirit is fanning into flame through you and I, the very manifestation of the kingdom of God. Now this gets really exciting. God partners with us so much He deals with our tohu bohu, and then he does this beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us. What does that mean? I am a carrier of the hovering Holy Spirit. Any situation I walk into that is tohu bohu, guess what? Potentially that thing is going to change just because I'm bringing the hovering Holy Spirit with me. Do you get what I'm saying? God wants to use us who were once absolutely chaotic to help recreate chaos around us. Isn't that amazing? The second thing we see God doing when we look at both the creation and the recreation is we see him breathing. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, 
and the man became a living creature. Now, we cannot escape the fact that we are flesh. If you were all sitting a lot closer together, I'd ask you to pinch the person next to you. But for now, just pinch yourself a little. Can you feel that? <laughs> Some married couples are pinching each other. I think we need to talk about that for a moment. Um, we cannot get away from the fact that we are flesh. We are physical. And because we are physical, there are some very physical needs we have to meet. Water and food and shelter. Otherwise, we'll die. The problem with our flesh is that it doesn't just have physical needs, but it's also got desires. And the problem with the desires of the flesh is that more often than not, they are rooted in selfishness. We'll talk about that more in a moment. So we are physical, and we see God forming man in the dust, out of the dust. And he formed man really well. But man doesn't just jump up there, start walking around and talking. What happens next is what is truly spectacular about this. The Lord God puts his face right up against the, the creature's face, and he breathes his own life essence into him. That is the Spirit of God. He breathes into him. And in that moment, that lump of clay is completely transformed into a living creature, into a soul that has great value and great worth to God. Breathing is a sign of life. Am I right, Dr. Gale? <laughs> Pretty important, says Dr. Gale. <laughs> If you stop breathing, there's a really good chance you're going to see Jesus soon, you know? That's the good thing. But it's really important. But as I said before, our flesh has desires. And that desire is so often rooted in deep selfishness. And what does that lead to? Hatred and prejudice and corruption and sin of every single kind. And that makes it very difficult for us to breathe in the breath of God. You see, when God created us, when he formed us from the dust and breathed his life into us, he gave us a great capacity to breathe in life-sustaining oxygen. But more than that, he gave us a great capacity within our spiritual self to breathe in his life, his Holy Spirit. And when our corruption, when our sin, when our selfishness takes over in the world, it becomes really difficult to breathe in God. John 6 verse 63 says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It is the spirit who gives life. It's the spirit who breathes life into us. And you know what? He wants to breathe life into your personal situation, your personal life, your personal context. He wants to breathe life into your family and into your community. He wants to breathe life into your city and your nation. But here's the crunch. You are it. You are what he is going to use to do that. Think about that for a moment. Sometimes when we pray for revival, or we pray for the Holy Spirit, it's again this weird, airy, fairy thing. We're imagining some disturbance in the ether that's going to just suddenly magically manifest. That is not how it works. God partners with man. What needs to come alive in your personal life? Well, you need to partner with God for that. 
We cannot work for salvation. We mustn't even try. It's utter nonsense. That is only God's doing. And that's the Holy Spirit again, who gives us the faith to believe in the grace and be born again. But after we are born again, God has good works for us to do. Now that word good can sound like we've got to go out and feed the poor and give money. That's good. Let's do that. But those good works are us submitting to God. Those good works are us choosing his way over our way. You want to see God breathe life into your family and your community. What is your response to him? How do you position yourself so he can do that? We want to see God breathe life into our city and our country. What are we going to do? Something else we have to realize is that when Jesus breathes his life into us, it doesn't just make our toho bohu feel a bit better. Now, let's get honest. Sometimes we settle for way less than we should. Sometimes when we come to church and we're in trouble and life is horrible and things are not going well, we, we enter into beautiful worship and we feel better. And we accept that as enough. And we go home. And then, I don't know, Tuesday afternoon, <laughs> we're not feeling so much better anymore. And then we come again on Sunday and we just feel, no, when, when the living God breathes his life into you, it is to transform you. It is to recreate you. It is to bring dead things fully alive. But we settle for just feeling better. You know, sometimes we're big on dreams in this church. Have you ever heard us talk about dreams? We love dreams in this church. We want you to have big dreams for your life. But, but he has a caution around dreams. Sometimes I know that I bring my dreams to God and I'm desperate for him to make them come to pass. But I never checked with him if they're his dreams. But what if my, my dreams are just my selfish desires manifesting? What if my dreams are all just about me being happy and successful and okay in the world? What if my dream is too small and too self-centered and he actually has a whole other universe of possibilities available to me? What if what I really want in the bottom of my heart is not to tell God what he should do for me, but to let him direct me in my dreams, in my efforts, in everything that I am doing to glorify him, to know him, to manifest my life in meaning before him? What if he wants to redirect my whole life into a completely new direction? What if that direction is not me being the center and the driving force of everything? What if he wants to be the center and the driving force of everything? You see, this is the recreation he wants to do. He wants to bring in us. I promise you, because the Bible tells us that when those disciples were sitting in the upper room, about 120 of them, they had no idea what was about to happen. They were mourning. And I think, uh, you know, what you to do, which was to cry out in prayer to the Lord. And I think, uh, you know, a month or so into that, some of them had already made some plans. You know what? We're going to move out of, out of Judea, and we're going to go somewhere quiet on the Amalfi Coast, and, you know, we're going to, you know, grow, grow some grapes and herd some goats, and, you know, we'll remember Jesus fondly. 
Honestly, I mean, people, you, you, they didn't know what was going on. In a second, God redirected their whole lives. Every single one of the apostles never dreamt as a little boy, I hope I get martyred one day for the cause of God. I can promise you that. Not one of them said that's what they wanted to do when they were asked at school, who do you want to be when you grow up? Every single one of them, except possibly John, that's what happened to them. But oh my word, the legacy they left behind. Oh my word, the fact that we remember exactly who they are and think they're marvelous. You're getting what I'm saying? I won't hammer that point anymore. See, Romans 8.14 says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And it works both ways. You can only be a son of God if you're led by the Holy Spirit. Does it work both ways? <laughs> Being led by the Spirit means you are a son of God. And you see, whether we know it, whether the world knows it or not, every single human being on this planet is desperate for a powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God to break into their lives and start directing them into truth and significance and meaning and purpose. That's what we all want. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we will start paying attention to him, if we will develop our understanding of who he is, if we will develop our ability to hear him and feel him and sense him and move at his impulse, that's exactly what we will have. And so God breathes his spirit and life into us so that we might be led by him as our father. And the last thing we see God doing in the creation and the recreation is resting. Now, when I say the word resting, um, most probably a lot of us think about lying on the couch and watching Netflix or dipping our toes in the ocean in Cape Town or something. None of that's wrong. That's great. But that is not at all what the Bible means when it uses the word resting. Genesis 2 verse 2 says, And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And again, we might think that God was like, Phew, wow, that was hectic, and you know, lay down on Mars somewhere, and, and Gabriel brought him a lemonade. That's not at all what that scripture means. What it means in the Bible when we see the word rest, it is always used in this context. When the Spirit of God rests, when God rests, it means that he brings the fullness of what he is into a place. It's like he moves into the neighborhood with everything, cats and dogs included, everything. He colonizes it. When God rests on something, it is completely saturated and covered by him. It's like a tablecloth on a table. Do you, do you get that? It is not passive again. Now, what's particularly fascinating about this scripture is that we know the story before. For six days, God is busy creating everything. He makes light. He creates sun and moon, uh, fish, um, flowers, yes, uh, birds, animals. He creates man. Six days, he creates and he creates. At the end of every single one of the descriptions of creation of the days, we know it's a day because it ends like this. And there was evening and there was morning the first day, the second day, the third day. Now, Genesis 2 verse 2 is a complete scripture. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And it never says, and there was evening and there was morning on the seventh day. We are still living in the seventh day reality. 
He is resting in his creation, and that has always been what he's doing. But man is rebellious, and man is stubborn, and man refuses to accept, but God does not give up. You and I are still living in the seventh day, and God is resting on us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He is with us in every single aspect of our lives to bring about the purpose of God. Now, this is also important because when the Old Testament prophesied to the coming Messiah, when it prophesied to Jesus, one of the marks it gave as an identifying mark of who the Messiah would be is that he would have the Spirit of God resting on him. A man. Isaiah 11, 1 to 2, for example. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was King David's father, and Jesus is of the line of David. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In other words, the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus. John the Baptist, who was actually Jesus' cousin, was the final prophet that God raised up to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And, he, and God used John the Baptist to open Israel's hearts. They had a baptism that they did, but that was preparing them for the Messiah that was about to manifest in front of them. And John the Baptist, in John 1, 32, 33, it says, And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, um, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You see the Spirit descend and remain, resting. One of God's primary resting places is Jesus Christ. Jesus is known as the Messiah because not only was he filled with the Spirit, but the Spirit remained on him permanently in very obvious ways. Healings and deliverances and, and power and manifestations of miracles every single place he went. Jesus was God, but he was fully human. And he submitted fully to the Holy Spirit. Every powerful thing we see Jesus doing is because he submitted to the Holy Spirit. Because if he had something that we don't have access to, how could we ever copy him? But he promises us, you will do greater works than I did. How? By the Holy Spirit. Because he had the Holy Spirit and we have the Holy Spirit. And so we've seen how the Holy Spirit hovers over our chaos to bring God's order and his plan. And we've seen how he breathes into our dead places um, to recreate them in his design and desire in the image of Christ. But for lack of a better word, there's a caveat here. There is a slight condition here because as I said, the Holy, Jesus is, is the primary habitat for the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit comes to rest where Jesus is paramount and central. He comes to dwell where Jesus is Lord above all else. And we've got to remember that. The third person of the Trinity glorifies Jesus. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, directs us to Jesus. And what does it mean to make Jesus Lord? Well, it means that he is first in authority. It means that his word is our guiding force. It means that what he says and commands undergirds our every 
decision that he is first in our affections, that we have opened our heart up to loving and acknowledging his wonder and beauty and majesty, that all our desires are centered around him first and foremost, that we no longer live in our selfish desires, but we desire what he wants. It means that we receive his power and his enabling to manifest his love, authority, power, and presence wherever we go. And it means that we say yes to him always and forever. And so hopefully through the rest of the series, you're going to remember that God, the Holy Spirit hovers, that he breathes, and that he rests. And that is available for us today. And so a couple of things I thought we could pray about is firstly and foremostly that tohu bohu. <laughs> you know, we're going to use our imaginations tonight, and that's the only reason I'm going to ask you to close your eyes so you don't get distracted. And using our imaginations, that's what God put inside of us. He redeemed all of us. Our imaginations are redeemed. And I want you to imagine that toho bohu in your life. What is it? You know what it is. It's that, if you're not sure, it's that thing when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're crying, it's that thing. We've all got that thing. And maybe that thing is a lack in your life. Maybe that's something that should be there or that you desperately want to be there. Maybe that thing is actually a presence in your life that shouldn't be there, something that you don't want. Just imagine it. Just see it there. And then I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to manifest himself as a hovering spirit over your tohu bohu. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you come? Would you manifest yourself, God, even as we're imagining that place, even as we're bringing that place to you right now? And just imagine, what does he look like? What does your Holy Spirit look like to you in that tohu bow? Is it light? Is it a fresh wind? Just pay attention to what he's doing. Holy Spirit, come and hover. Come and hover. Come and hover. Come and hover. I see some of your imagination. It's, it's transforming completely into mountains and fields and forests. I feel like some of you are just moving into these beautiful rivers that are just flowing. Hmm. For some of you, it's just like suddenly you're seeing your favorite food and it's wonderful. And that's just a sign that God is sustaining you, that God is feeding you, that a place that was barren is now full of, of sustenance and nourishment. Now receive that. Just receive that. Don't push it away. Don't think you're unworthy. Kill the shame right now. Just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's what you're doing, and I like it, and I want it. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And if you're seeing your tohu bohu transform, just begin to thank him. Just praise him. Just tell him how wonderful he is in your own words. You're so good, Lord. You're so good, Lord. There's nothing like you, Lord. Nothing like you. And now just start saying thank you. Just be grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. We're so grateful, Lord. You are good to us, Lord, and we are grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. 
And Father, I pray that from this night on, Lord God, you will continue to hover over every individual's tohu bow, Lord God. You will continue to recreate in them. God, I thank you that you're even gonna release strategy over their lives of how they can respond to you, of how they can move with you out of those chaotic spaces into spaces that are beautiful and ordered and, and clear and where there's direction in you, Lord God. I pray that in your name and I just rebuke any lie of the enemy that wants to say this didn't happen or that didn't go down. I rebuke that right now. You will not hinder in any way. And then I want you just to think, where are you in lordship? Are you so under lordship that it's easy for the Holy Spirit to rest on your life? If it's not, that's okay. You're gonna just acknowledge that to God. He's not angry. Remember what I said. He knows everything. Nothing about you is shocking. If there's anything you need to make right with God in lordship, just do it now. Just tell him. I need you here, Lord Jesus. I need to submit this to you, Lord. Just give it to him. Father God, we give you Lordship, Jesus. We give you Lordship, Jesus. We say that you are first in authority and that you are first in our affections. And God, where we do love things more than you, show us, Lord, and help us, Lord, to put you first, to love you more, to see you as you really are. May we find no satisfaction in anything but you and all the good that you bring with you, Lord. Just repent before him. You know, all repentance is is saying, God, I was wrong and you're right. It's just agreeing with Jesus. That's all repentance is. Your Lord, your Savior, your word is truth. And now stir up your love for him. He's first in our affections. We love you, Jesus. We love you so much. You have done so much for us. And you're easy to love. You're kind and you're generous. You're our best friend. You only ever have our best interests at heart. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you love us. Let him love you back. You are worthy of his love because you're his child. He says you're worthy. Nothing you've done, nothing you have or haven't got. He says you're my child. I'm your father. That makes you worthy. God, we receive your love, Lord. We receive your love tonight, Lord Jesus. We receive your love tonight, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just say thank you one more time because he's just awesome. And let's give him a hand tonight for what he's done. Amen. Amen.